Morning, church family and friends. Morning. Morning. All right, so I'm supposed to say something about the Christmas boxes. Now, the Christmas boxes are different than the uh, shoe boxes from Samaritan's Purse that we send on the mission field. Uh, we started the Christmas box ministry about three years ago. And uh, what we're doing is we're trying to be active with our faith. And so the Christmas boxes help us to do that. What it is 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 we are getting 500 boxes together, and we assemble them, and we put a ham in the box, a nine-pound ham, a full loaf of bread from House of Bread. Who's ever been to House of Bread? Is good. Not locale, but good. All right. Get a full loaf of bread. We get a whole ham. We get a whole pie. We get, uh, I think, uh, a few pounds of potatoes, a few pounds of carrots. And the best part about this Christmas box is we've, we print out a card that has the, the gospel in it. It's a Christmas card. It has the gospel in it, and there's a blank where you're meant to sign your name. And what our desire for this is is that you are able to take these Christmas boxes to whoever God puts on your heart in the next three weeks. It does not have to be a poor person. doesn't have to be a rich person. Whoever God is putting on your heart. Who's your neighbor to your left? Who's the neighbor to your right? When's the last time you talked to them? Maybe you talk to them all the time. I don't know. You've been praying for them. This is another opportunity where you can bless them. And listen, if someone doesn't take a box, just say, hey, do you know anyone who needs a Christmas box? And so um, it, yeah, everybody knows someone. And so um, we are challenging our, our church. Everybody, like families, just take two boxes and 500 will be gone in one day. Now... I will tell you, your faith is being tested. The reason is, is because the Christmas boxes are going to be assembled on December 10th. And what is December 10th in Palmer, Alaska? Come on, you people. Yes, I know this. It's colony days. How many of you want to go to colony days? Oh, come on, you pagans. You not love your community or what? Come on. All right, so what I'm asking you guys to do is come on December 10th. Help us assemble boxes at 9 a.m. Help us take them at 10. Hey, take them down to the colony days. Give them to a couple people or take them to your neighbors. You still have time to go enjoy colony days. The parade's at night. So I know you guys aren't going to say, oh, sorry, Pastor, I was at the parade. No, you weren't. I know when the parade is. So um, anyways, yeah, come do that with us. I, I'm guessing we, we asked for donations for the boxes. Now, we've already asked a lot of Christian businesses offset the cost. My guess is each box for a whole nine-pound ham, whole loaf of bread, potatoes, carrots, and pie, I believe is going to be $15 to $20 a box. And so um, that's a blessing because normally it would have been $28. So um, I'll let you know about that as the time comes. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the message this morning. Um, turn with me to Daniel chapter 3. Daniel chapter 3. Faith under fire. When you and I are in a tough situation, when we are being tested in our faith, how do we remain faithful to God? It's not a matter of if you're going to be tested. In America, it's really hard because we live in such a comfortable, cushy country. And we really aren't persecuted. A lot of times we think we are, but really not in terms of persecution in the world. 
But in America, there's almost this false idea of um, those people who go through trials are the people who deserve it. But the truth is, Jesus said that all of us are going to go through troubles. We're all going to go through trials that test our faith. Uh, listen to what Jesus says in John 16, In this world, you will have trouble. This is the word tribulation. It means a time of testing of your faith. But take heart, I have overcome the world. We will all go through times where our faith will be tested. This morning, we're going to look at a story of three guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in this story, we're going to see that they're, they're slaves of a king, and they're actually serving a king. And this king is a little um, erratic. I would say it's an angry issue. He also does not believe in the one true God. He believes in many false gods. And now he's, um, he's erected a 90-foot statue and he's brought in all of the governors and all of the province officials, all of his governing officials below him. He's brought them all into Babylon. And he's brought them to Plain Adura, which is probably six miles southeast of Babylon. And he's told them all of the sounds of the lyre and harp and all these music instruments are going to play. And when they play, I want you to bow down to my golden statue of the God I've created. And you know that this is posing a very big issue for Jewish, young Jewish men who were commanded by God in Exodus chapter 20 not to worship any false gods. They're going through a trial and a test of their faith. And by the way, we will too. Whether you're at a job that asks you to do something that's against what you know God wants you to do, whether you work for the government that asks you to do something that you know God doesn't want you to do. You might be raised in a family and the majority of your family isn't Christian. They're, they're wanting you to do what God does. You will be tested in this life. When our faith is tested, what type of mindset must we have in order to be a faithful witness? There's a story of two shoe salesmen. They were sent by a major United States shoe manufacturing business down to Australia. And when they were in Australia, they were told to go into the outback and go amongst the Aborigines. And so both of these salesmen did in separate ways. And a couple months later, they both telegraphed back to the United States office. And the first one said this, no business here. The Aborigines don't wear shoes. And the second one telegrammed back and said, great news, lots of opportunity. The Aborigines don't wear shoes. <laughs> you see, it's the mindset that we have going into a trial that determines whether we remain faithful to God. This morning, I want to show you how these three friends remain faithful to God because they have the mindset that does. And then we're going to see how God rewards them. So when our faith is tested, what type of mindset must we have? And then how does God reward us when we remain faithful? Daniel chapter 3. When our faith is tested, what type of mindset do we have to have? We have to have a mindset that prepares to have our faith tested. you got to be prepared. No person in the military goes to war unprepared. And if they do, they're going to lose. 
We have to be prepared. Uh, we will be tested. And we see this with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They live in a foreign country. They're slaves. They are serving the king. They have, they have definitely been promoted. You remember Daniel in chapter 2 interpreted the dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And him and his three friends were promoted because no one else could interpret the dream. And so they are living in a hostile culture, but they're privileged. And notice what happens in verse 8 through 15. Nebuchadnezzar sets up this statue, commands everybody to worship it, and they don't notice what happens and how their faith is tested. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You have issued a decree, O king, that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harps, the pipes of all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. That whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews who you've set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, O king. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I've set up. Now when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into the blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? There are two common themes. Now, I know we don't live in Babylon. We don't. There's very, everybody say big difference. big difference. There is a big difference. Let me point out the biggest difference. The biggest difference is this guy is a dictator. This is a monarchy. This is a global empire, and one guy calls all the shots. We are so blessed to live in America because we have separation of church and state. Now, I know a lot of people look at that as it's actually a blessing because the state can't force us to worship a certain God. That is a blessing, freedom of religion. We have something called the bill of that protects us. We have something called the legislative branch, the executive branch, the judicial branch, and they all have checks and balances. Praise God. Praise God. So we are not in Babylon we are protected, and yes, we do need to make sure that we continually to vote and exercise our rights or we lose what we have. So we need to be diligent. But, that, but in, a, in a certain way, we're kind of like Babylon. And the reason is, is because there's many different gods in Babylon. There's many different gods in America. Uh, there's many different gods. All the nations of the earth have immigrated to America and represented many different faiths. But here I want you to notice that even though we're different from Babylon, kind of similar, there are commonalities between us and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that are going to test our faith. There's commonalities. No matter what government you have, no matter which gods are represented in the nation you live in, there are commonalities. Here's the first one. Our faith can be tested because of people's envy. 
Our faith can be tested because of people's envy. Now, most of you are not Jewish, but if you were Jewish, you'd be saying, yeah, I've seen that throughout the history of man. Hitler justified the extermination of Jews because he charged them with robbing the European people because they were more wealthy than other people. Here's what I know. This is what I know. This is true. This is pretty true. Everybody say true. True. This is pretty true. If you read the Bible and you strive not to be perfect because we know we need Jesus, right? No one's perfect. Everybody say no one's perfect. No one's perfect. And you strive to live by the word of God, generally you are going to be blessed financially and spiritually and emotionally. Generally. Now, does that mean that everybody will who lives? No. No, it depends. But mostly you will. And when you are blessed because you decided to live by God's word, there will be people who are envious of that. Notice, notice how I got this, by the way. Look at verse 8. Look, look at this. So there are people, you get the picture here. There's a big field, plain of Dura. It's huge. There's thousands upon thousands of people who are all governing officials. These are the leaders of the nation. No one else is there. The leaders of the nation. King Nebuchadnezzar's off in the distance somewhere by a furnace. There's a 90-foot statue, the choir and the ensemble and the symphony starts playing and everybody hits their face except for three people you think people notice who the three are they see them they see them and out of everyone who could say something about those three people notice who does it verse 8 at this time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jew- astrologer that's interesting You see, some of your translations have astrologers, but other your translations have Chaldeans. The the Aramaic term here is Chaldeans. And see, this is a group of people just like Jews. And it's saying a lot. The Chaldeans were from Ur, where Abraham was, southern Babylon. And in this day and age, the Chaldeans, that phrase was a lot like the Pharisees in, in Jesus' time, there was a prepackaged meaning. The Chaldeans were people who were raised from knee high to adults, specifically with the goal of serving the king. These were people who were charged with being very incredibly uh, intelligent. They were handpicked. They were groomed. They were assimilated. They were taught everything that they needed to be taught in order to serve the king their entire lives. And who is not a part of them? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Not only are they not a part of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are actually in positions over the people who trained all their life. <laughs> no, look, 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 verse 12, notice. Verse 12, <laughs> they, they're talking to the king. These are the Chaldeans. But there are some Jews, underline the word Jews. First time in the Bible it's ever used and it's used pejoratively. But there are some Jews whom you've set over the affairs of the province. Do you think they're jealous? You've set them over us. You promoted people who are outsiders. You promoted people of a different race above us. And we were trained from kids to be obedient to you. And, and we're, we're honorable, Nebuchadnezzar. 
We bowed down, but look at them, those people you picked. It's all about envy. The reason why we go through trials sometimes has nothing to do with the Lord, has everything to do with other people who are jealous. And uh, here's what's interesting about this. In chapter 1, I'm sorry, chapter 2, who was responsible for saving all the wise men in Babylon, including the Chaldeans? Daniel and his three friends when they interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream when they were all going to be put to death. And how do they return that? They rat them out. See, here's the principle. Here's the principle. Jesus has called us to turn the other cheek. These guys are a main example of what it looks like to turn. It doesn't mean don't take a stand. It doesn't mean don't have an opinion. It just means don't do to others like they do to you. Don't return evil for evil. Return a blessing for evil. We're called to a higher standard. And that's what these guys do. Our faith can be tested. By the way, Jesus' faith was tested because other people envied him. I don't know if you've noticed this. So there's a side note. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 18... Jesus is with Pilate, and Pilate is trying to say, um, you guys have a practice of releasing a prisoner. You want to release Barabbas or Jesus? And at that time, the commentary says, for Pilate knew that the chief priest handed over Jesus because they envied him. The real reason why they rejected Jesus is because he drew greater crowds. He did miracles. They could not. It was envy. 1 Peter 4.12 says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. Here's the second common theme that, that Tests our face, tested Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, also tests us. The second thing is insecure people think conformity brings loyalty. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I'm not trying to badmouth people. Everybody knows I need Jesus just as much as everybody else. Okay, I'm not trying to badmouth. I'm just stating a fact. People who are insecure find the need to force other people to agree with them. Governments who feel insecure will for- have you looked at Iran lately they will force conformity because they think conformity means loyalty that's what governments who are insecure do people who don't trust god have to make other people agree with them because they think that shows devotion and loyalty we don't have to agree with each other to love one another And I think that's the big deal here. See, here's what's happening with Nebuchadnezzar. There's more to this story behind the scenes. We know this in 597 BC, December, King Nebuchadnezzar had a coup on his life. January 596, one month later, there was another coup on his life. And we're kind of guessing here, more than likely the statue was erected after the interpretation, well, we know it was after the interpretation of Jan- Daniel's dream. Do you remember what that was about? In Daniel's dream in chapter 2, 
If you weren't here last week, we found out that uh, there was this dream Nebuchadnezzar had. And uh, he brought in all the wise men, and they said, tell us the dream that's bothering you, king. And he said, I'm not going to tell it to you. You're going to have to tell me what the dream was, and then I'll know you can interpret it. And none of them could. All of a sudden, Daniel hears that they're all going to be killed, him and all the wise men. So, so Daniel asks for time, and he goes to the king, asks for time. He goes back, he prays with him and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And then Daniel gets uh, a vision from heaven that night, and, it, and the dream is revealed. And so he goes and tells King Nebuchadnezzar, you remember what was in this vision, this dream? King Nebuchadnezzar saw a statue. Face and head was of gold, and the face and head was told to King Nebuchadnezzar, this is your kingdom. Then after you was coming another kingdom, that was the chest and the arms, and they were of silver. We find out that this is going to be uh, the kingdom Mede-Persians. And then after that, there was a waist of bronze and thighs of bronze. We find out that this is going to be the Greece kingdom that rules the world, Alexander the Great. And then we find out that there were legs of iron and then feet of iron mixed with clay. And we find out this is going to be Rome. Well, here's what's interesting. What type of statue does Nebuchadnezzar make? It's gold. Why did he make the statue of gold when the dream he had was the head of gold was his kingdom? Because he's completely insecure and he's saying, God, I don't care what you say. My kingdom's going to last forever. And I'm going to force it to be so even when people are trying to overthrow me. That's what's happening here. Um, I want you to know this, that a lot of the times governments have had a serious issue with using religion to try to force and control its people. And I'm going to tell you right now, I am so thankful I am an American. I know we live in a pagan America. We do. America is is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. But at least we have this. We aren't forced to believe one thing about God. We have freedom of religion. America has separation of church and state, which means it can't use religion to force other people to do something. Praise God for that. Praise God for that. If you're an American, you won the lottery. Absolutely. And, and Iranians would love to be Americans right now. I promise you that. I promise you that. We should pray for their people. Nebuchadnezzar is using God as a way to serve himself. Look at this in verse 15. Notice what he says here. This is interesting. He just got a dream a few years ago from from Daniel that showed that only Daniel's God could interpret the dream. And yet, look at what he says in verse 15. He says, what God will be able to rescue from my hand? (laughs) He he doesn't get it. He, he, He doesn't understand. He thinks he can use God in order to serve himself. And uh, that's the problem. Politicians use God as a way to get votes, but they really don't worship him. Some do. Some don't. And I'm sure you know the difference. When our actions are against our words, that means our words mean nothing. We have to be careful. By the way, here's Luke chapter 6, verse 22. This is Jesus talking And I want to be very careful about this. 
Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and cast insults at you and spur your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets. This is a powerful verse from Jesus. I'm okay with people not being okay with me. A lot of people are not okay with me just simply because I'm going to read a verse of scripture and if I read this verse of scripture and didn't say anything else, everybody would not like me. But, but here's the deal. A lot of us Christians are inviting criticism because we do it in an unloving way and we don't love our neighbor. So that's not valid. Like if you're being persecuted because you're being dumb, well, that's on you, Right? But if you're being persecuted because you're simply saying this is what God's word says and you still go love your neighbor and take him a Christmas box, then listen, Jesus says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. And uh, we need to know that, that, that insecurity breeds a, a, a desire to conform people and we, we shouldn't agree with everybody because God's word is what we should agree with. All right, we need to prepare to have our faith tested. When our faith is tested, what type of mindset we have, we need to be prepared. Here's the second type of mindset. We need to choose God over self. We have to choose God over our own selfishness. Notice here how Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego respond. And how they respond actually shows that they are choosing God over themselves. Notice what happens here in verses 16 through 18. Shadrach and Meshach replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. And he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you had set up. That's powerful. That is powerful. Now, there is a difference. Everybody say difference. Difference. There's a difference between Babylon and America, but it's the same. Everybody say the same. It's the same. What's the difference? Well, how many of you have little idols in your home? How many of you, now I do know I've been to people's homes where I've seen idols before, it's mainly restaurants, um, little Buddhas or whatever, and little cute little fat belly guy, and usually made of gold, but idols are in the ancient Near East in Babylon were very much statues, they were made out of wood usually, and then they were coated with gold or silver or bronze or brass, that's, that's what they were coated with. And they were made by human hands. Now here's the difference. If I'm making an idol, that means I'm creating the God that I want to serve me. I'm creating the God in my image. See, that's idolatry. That always betrays idolatry. You will find idolatry when the God you worship looks like you and you control it. But in America, it's different. The reason why it's different is because most of us don't serve these statues that we cover with gold or precious metals. But it's the same. 
The reason why it's the same, you know it's similar, is because whatever God you've chosen to create is a God you control and is a God that serves you. The Bible's totally different. In the beginning, he created man in his image. God created us in his image, and then God created us to serve him. Huge difference. Huge difference. So how would you find idolatry in America today? How would you find it? Well, I've got some great quotes here from Paul Tillich. This is a theologian, professor. He said this, a person's God is the thing or person that one is most concerned about, thinks the most about, and affects one's life the most. What do you think about all the time? How about this guy, Tripper Longman? I love this guy, Old Testament scholar. He says this, when the masks are ripped away behind every idol is the self. That is true. If I create a God of my own liking, who is God? I am. I get to decide what God says and what he doesn't. And uh, this is modern Christianity. I don't like what you said here, God. I think my ethics are higher than yours. I'm going to tell you what you should think. This is a false God. In the USA, sometimes if you want federal money, you have to accept what the government wants you to accept in order to receive its funds. Who are you trusting? God? Who are you trusting? Yourself? Are you trusting the government? Listen, the government can't even balance their checkbook. How are they going to save you? They can't even agree. Where, where are the, the middle ground people? They're all extreme. The government's not going to save us. So if you're ever in a position where they're saying, if you take our money, that means you have to agree with what we say, uh, trust God and don't take the money. If you want success as a student, maybe you're UAA or maybe you're on break from Thanksgiving, you go to a, another college. And if you want a success as a student, a lot of times you've got you to write a research and report paper to agree with the professor to get, a, get an A. You can't disagree with the professor. My question to you is, who creates success, God or your professor? Is success something that comes from you and your own power? Or does it come from God? You see, we face these choices every day. We face the choice of confronting Nebuchadnezzar every day. And usually Nebuchadnezzar, if we look really hard, is ourselves. It's ourselves. Here's three ways Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego chose God over themselves. I want to show you this, and we, we need to do this too. First, they trusted God instead of giving in to fear. I think about it. They are alone in thousands of people, and they are the only ones sticking out like a sore thumb. No one else. And you can almost see what's going through their mind. And they're looking around. Oh, there's my next door neighbor, Simon. He's been in down. Maybe it's not such a bad thing. Oh, there's my neighbor, Zedekiah. He's bending down. I'm pretty sure, I know he's Jewish. I know he knows the word of God. Maybe I should too. But instead, they keep on standing. And by the way, these are the only three Jewish people in the entire province who stand. 
That is significant. Sometimes we stand alone. And the question is, are we, are we trusting God or giving in to fear? Here's what John 12, verse 24, this is Jesus. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world shall keep it to eternal life. There comes a time sometimes where we will be the only people and other people we thought were with us are no longer with us. And the question is, if you decide to join them, how will anyone know that there is a different faith? The ability to stand shows that there is a God. There is a different faith. Here's the second thing that they do that we need to do, or they don't do, actually. They don't compromise their convictions. They don't water down their convictions. I've heard people say this, and by the way, I think I've said this too. I'll bow the knee, but I won't bow the heart. Well, that's called coward. Like, you know, the old pirates, you call it yellow belly. <laughs> Listen, bowing the knee and not the heart means absolutely nothing. Because I know this, people see what I do over what I say. That's just the truth. The truth is your faith will show itself as we live. And so uh, don't take that route. There's another one. I can do more good by remaining in power for my people. Uh Uh-huh. So you not saying anything means you're complicit in the thing. And uh, we have to be really careful about By the way, I know what you're saying. You say, Jason, can you please tell us what the difference is between when we should disobey the government and, and obey the government? Because all of us know, how many know, how many know, how many know, how many know the Bible says we should obey our government? How many of you know that? Okay, okay. How many of you are like, man, I want small government, not big government? How many people like that? Okay, the Bible really doesn't talk much about that, maybe a little bit. But did you know that God actually created the government in Genesis chapter 9? After Noah and the ark, the flood, he created, and you know why he created it? Capital punishment. Go look at it. Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. I will demand the blood from anyone who sheds man's blood. And he sets up government. And then in Romans chapter, 15, uh, chapter 16, we find out that government was given to us in order to reward those who do good and punish those who do evil. Government is a good thing. Everybody say good thing. And Jesus didn't have problem paying taxes. That's weird. Jesus is perfect. Man, I wish he wouldn't have said that. There are primary and secondary convictions. Let me give you the primary, okay? Here's what I mean by primary. These are the things when your government asks you to do it, you absolutely unequivocally say no. I'm sorry, Nebuchadnezzar. I will not do what you're asking me to. There's really only two things. If you look through the whole Bible, there's only two things. Yes, there's only two things. Yeah, it's very small. You know why it's very small? Because God wants us to obey our government. He wants us to pray for our people. He wants to pray for our government and our officials so that we will live in peace. There's only really two things. Here's here's the first one. The first one is is when our government intentionally calls us to break God's law. 
Here, Nebuchadnezzar is asking them to break Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. You shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not worship any other gods. You shall not create any other gods in, in my image. That, that's pretty clear. And they're standing there saying, you're forcing me to break God's law. Now, it's another thing to have laws of the land that aren't God's laws. Like abortion, it's the law of the land. I know for a fact that's not God's law. It's a total another thing for the government to tell you to have an abortion. That is totally different. You see what I'm saying? When the government tells you to do something that you know is going to bring judgment on you from God, can't go there. Can't go there. Here's the second one. The second one is when the, the, the government tells you that you can't share your faith and that you have to believe a different way. That's the second one. Say, Jason, where do you find that out? Well, we find it when Peter and John have been preaching in the temple. They just healed a man. The temple authorities, the Pharisees and Sadducees, arrest them because they're gathering all this big crowd and they're speaking in the name of Jesus. And when they release them, they tell them, do not ever speak in the name of Jesus again. And listen to what they say in uh, Acts 4, 19 through 20. Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you or rather, or rather to, than to God, you be the judge for we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. They actively disobey the government when they're called to do that. Uh, everything else is secondary, friends, which is hard for Americans to hear because we're pretty sure the Bill of Rights are primary. But I will say we should use our freedom to vote or you will lose your freedom. But when it comes to fighting, when it comes to disobeying, when it comes to actively saying no, there's really only two things we should say no about. When the government forces us to do something against God's law and when the government says we no longer can share our faith. Those are the two. Here's the third thing they do. They trusted God with the outcome. Look at verse 18. Notice this. They say to Nebuchadnezzar, this is awesome. Awesome. Look at what, he's, look what they say. But even if he does not deliver us, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve you. Your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. You can almost see if they're, they're snapping their fingers in a Z formation. You know? No, they're not. They're respectful. They're just like, you know, out of here, man. No, they're not doing that. You'd like them to be, though. Look at what they say. And what's this say about the modern Christian? God... Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to tell you this. We're not going to do what you're asking us to do, and we know you're going to throw us into the fire. We believe God can deliver us, but if he decides not to, we're still going to be thrown into the fire. Whoa! That's pretty radical. If I get cancer, even if he doesn't heal me, I'm still going to trust in God. If one of my kids walks away from the faith, I pray to God that doesn't happen to me or anyone else. But if they do, I'm still going to follow God. This is a radical faith. They trusted God with the outcome. By the way, real faith, real faith approaches God on his terms. Real faith does not let's make a deal faith. That's satanic faith. Satanic faith is, God, if I do this for you, then you must do this for me. How do I know that? Because when Satan went to Jesus when he was being tempted, 
after 40 days of not eating or drinking, he takes him up to the temple and makes him look at all of the places of the world and tells him, actually takes him a high point and makes him look at all the kingdoms of the world. And he tells him, if you worship me, I'll give you all these kings. See, that's Satan. If you do this, I'll give you this. Remember in the book of Job, he goes to God and Satan says, skin for skin. Eye for an eye, take everything that Job has away from him, he surely will curse you. You see, it's this reciprocal thing. If God does this for me, then I'll worship him. No, 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 listen. Listen, God has already done everything for us by giving us his son. It's almost like this. These guys are going into the fire knowing that their life is not going to end, regardless of whether they're burned or not. And that's a question for you and I. The scripture says that we who believed in Jesus died to our sins and we were made alive again as a new person. If we've already died, when someone threatens us with death, that means they still can't kill us because we're alive in Christ. And so often we compromise our faith for just a piece of bread, a pat on the back, a promotion at work. When our faith is tested, what type of mindset must we have in order to be a faithful witness? Well, we have to have a mindset that we're prepared. We have to have a mindset that we choose God over ourselves. And here's how God rewards us. How does God reward our faith when we we remain faithful? God lets us experience his presence. When we're faithful and we stand for God, God lets us experience his presence. So Nebuchadnezzar, it says in the text... Gets angry. Matter of fact, the Aramaic says he gets angry, angry, angry. I mean, this isn't like this guy has a real problem with anger. So he gets really angry. He turns up the heat on the furnace seven times what he normally has it at. And by the way, I got a gold nugget for you. Everybody hold up their hand. Say gold nugget. Gold nugget. nugget. Put this in your purse or your wallet. Archaeologists have found several dozen furnaces six miles southeast of Babylon on the plain of Dura, and they've also found a huge structure of just bricks that was 20 foot high and 40 foot wide, and they don't know what exactly went on top of it. Well, it's a 90 foot statue. It's got a big base, and so we've, we've got something there. Now, the question is, why isn't the statue there? Because it was the Babylonian god, and as soon as the Persians and Medes invade Babylon, they see a big golden god, they're melting that baby down. And you would too. And so um, he, Nebuchadnezzar, gets angry. He lights the furnace. He tells them, throw them in. He sends his best guys to throw them in the furnace. They throw them in the furnace, and his guys that were the best soldiers he had get burned alive. It's so hot. And then all of a sudden, Nebuchadnezzar looks in the furnace and he sees four people walking in there. Notice how when we're faithful, God rewards us with his presence in verse 24 through 30. Notice what happens. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown in the fire? They replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in their fire unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. 
And they saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was their hair of their head singed. Their robes were not scorched. There was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that, any, uh, that the people of any nation or language who says anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into... <laughs> this guy's unbelievable. <laughs> he just doesn't change. Anger management 101 right here. And then he says, for no other god can save in this way. Really? Gee... <laughs> Um, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm convinced of this. If I were in the position of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and King Nebuchadnezzar looked in the fire and said, come here, I'd say, no, why don't you come here? You know? <laughs> no, King, how about you come in here? Let's see if your faith will save you. <laughs> what crisis are you facing right now? What trial are you going through? Are you in a trial of your health? Are you in a trial at work? Are you in a trial in education? A lot of policies you don't agree with. What trial are you in right now? Where where are you at? And what I want you to know and and us to know is, is that whatever trial you find yourself in, if you don't compromise your convictions, that means eventually you're going to have to take a step of faith. Because it depends. Every conviction has a cost. If it's worth fighting for. And so every cost means you have to take an equal amount of step of faith to cover that cost. And here's the deal. We will not see God's presence until we take a step of faith. They did not know. They said, if God does or maybe he doesn't, we still won't do it. And they got to experience a barbecue without being burned. That's intense. But you think about this. This is all through the Bible. Think about the Israelites. The ten plagues on Egypt. Moses and Aaron did the ten plagues and they're all led out of Egypt and they go to the Red Sea and they're pinned. Pharaoh's army is now, he's like, why did we let two million slaves go? And he he leads this whole army out with their chariots and pins them against an ocean. And all the Israelites start screaming to Moses, why did you lead us out here to be buried In the desert, were there not enough tombs in Egypt? I mean, they're just crying out. They've seen all the miracles of God. And God tells Moses, tell the people, quit complaining, and to take a step into the sea. They had to take a step in the sea before God would part it. Forty years later, God calls them to go to the promised land. And as they're on their way to the promised land, there's this big river called... The Jordan River, and it is at the flood stage, which means don't step in it. This is like the Copper River. Don't step in it. I don't care if you have a life jacket on. Don't go in there. This is like the Kenai. Who's crazy enough to go swimming in the Kenai? No one. I'm not. Some of you got greater faith than I do. This is at the flood stage, and God said to the Israelites, Take the priests who are carrying my ark, and as they step into the river, it will dry up. They had to take a step into the river before it dried up. How about the Apostle Paul? The Apostle Paul was the first missionary ever, and he traveled all of Asia in the province or in the Roman Empire. And everywhere he went was new, 
He didn't know what encountered him, but if he would not have gone, he would not have gotten beaten up in Philippi. He would have never been put in the Philippian jail. And in the Philippian jail, he would have never experienced God's miraculous earthquake that bailed him out of jail. All over the place, we've got this. When we stand for faith, God shows himself as faithful. And he shows himself with his presence. I'm going to end with this story. Story of the church father, Polycarp. And many of you have heard this story before. Polycarp was said to have been a disciple from John, the Apostle John in Ephesus. He grew up and became the Bishop of Smyrna, which was right below Ephesus. His ministry in Asia was so powerful that many of his adversaries called him an atheist for turning so many people from the worship of many gods to the worship of one God, Jesus Christ. When Polycarp was very old, the persecution broke out in Asia around 156 A.D., Realizing that Polycarp was the intended target, he hid with the help of local believers, his church. But after torturing a person in his church, the local authorities found out that Polycarp was in a hayloft, and they took him captive. They didn't want to execute him. They just wanted him to be an example of a public figure who was the leader who would deny Christ. What a victory it would be for paganism, and a blotta it would be for Christianity. They brought Polycarp out into a theater where there was some incense, some fire, and a stake. There was a crowd watching all around, and there were officials, and they said to Polycarp, quote, Why, what harm is there in saying Caesar is Lord and offering incense and saving yourself? Over and over, the officials pleaded with him, saying, Have respect for your age. Repent and say, Away with the atheists. But then Polycarp stood firm and uttered these words, For 86 years I have been his servant and he has never done me wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And with that the officials took him to the stake, lit it on fire and burned him alive. The crowd was so horrified that persecution ended for decades in this place in Asia. And many people who witnessed this became Christians because they saw a man who was willing to stand for what he believed. May we be a people who are willing to stand for what we believe. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord God, for your love for us. I thank you for the examples of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I thank you, Lord God, when you call us to the fire, give us the faith to trust you no matter what occurs. And Lord God, we pray that you would use our examples as seed that goes into the ground and bears much fruit, like Polycarp, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Nebuchadnezzar proclaimed your gospel around the world that you were the most high God after that. We pray, Lord God, that that would happen with us too. Give us the wisdom to choose you over ourselves. Give us the wisdom to prepare. And Lord God, we pray that you'd help us to experience your presence. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.